0: Hello, this is Derek Ray, and you're listening to Bavarian Podcast Works. Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of variant podcast works live from quarantine we are all healthy we hope you are all healthy as well I am joined by Tom Adams Tom how are you doing today
1: I'm doing well hanging in there it feels like it's day 60,000 of quarantine for me but just trying to stay positive stay upbeat uh, and spread the positivity so um, yeah hope everyone's staying healthy out there following the guidelines wherever. Uh, you are whatever they may be um yeah and keep warning others to do the same
0: and we are also being joined as this is a very special episode of the podcast by a great friend of ours the original uh co-host of this pod who has finally come back from the uh from the uh, Pennsylvania State Penitentiary. Is that what it is that you were located at? Chuck Smith, how are you doing on this fine whatever day of the week it is?
2: Well, after all that hard time, Jake, I I am glad to be back. And with this uh, being a very special episode, I'm expecting to walk in and see, like, Tom doing a line of coke and me just having, like, this disgusted look on my face. This is like an after-school special all gone wrong, Jake.
0: Oh, my goodness. Ugh. Tommy, please tell me you're not indulging (laughs) yourself in any of that. But uh, as I mentioned, this is a very special episode because this Friday, April 10th, is the one year anniversary of this podcast being started, and we will talk about that a little bit more in the outro, but we have a lot of news to get to before that because while coronavirus has slowed down all of the sports action, it has not stopped the sports news. And first and foremost of that news, two major signings happening at Bayern Munich. We will get to arguably the more Uh, hyped and more important one first. Hansi Flick has signed a long-term deal to stay at Bayern until 2023. We have more Flicky Flocka at this club. It's a great thing to see, uh, in my opinion. He's done so well in every competition that Bayern was in so far this year, and there was a lot of speculation about whether or not there would be somebody coming in or not. So Chuck, I'm going to start with you because it's your first time in a while being on. What was your initial reaction to this signing and what are your thoughts on what it may mean for the near-term future for Bayern Munich?
2: I was absolutely ecstatic when I heard the news. I've been, you know, since the beginning of this new Flick era, I've been hardcore stick with Flick. Uh, I just admire the way he came in and he totally changed the communication structure, and the culture of the team. And you could really see how that parlayed itself onto the field. It just seems like the team is playing much more confident, much more sure. And he made some just some great tactical decisions. I mean, firstly, he gave Thomas Muller the confidence and assurance that he would be playing as part of that starting 11. And then some of the defensive moves that he made, moving David Alaba to center back, giving Alfonso Davies... Uh, the chance to be a regular in the 11 at left back. I mean, those are things that I think he had the foresight to see as an assistant coach, but could not convince Niko Kovac to act on. Now that he's the man in charge, he's getting to do what he wants. And I got to say like more impressive than anything that he's done tactically, just the the courage that he showed to go to the press and leak some stories and not just and he also talk about it directly. He challenged some of the transfer uh philosophies in the team. And I to me, he won me over with that. When you have a coach with that kind of charisma, that kind of communication skill, and frankly, the, the amount of balls that he showed in talking to the Byron board like that, he won me over completely. I couldn't be happier with the signing
0: Tom, uh, as something that Chuck had alluded to, uh, Hansi has been challenging the higher ups in the club, more specifically, uh, Oliver Kahn, more publicly Brazo Salihamidic on things such as signing Leroy Sané, things like signing uh, Timo Werner, arguing back and forth between those two. With him really putting his foot down, how do you see the dynamic between the board and this manager to go forward?
1: Well, to answer that straightforward, I think it, it just speaks to his confidence. I mean, for me, This extension uh, until 2023 was more of a when rather than if. Uh, And the real telling point for me was when he was given the pen by Karl-Heinz Rummenigge after Bayern had absolutely demolished Chelsea in the Champions League uh, 3-0 at the Stamford Bridge. Um, And he basically alluded. he said, here's this pen. Uh, We use pens sometimes to sign contracts uh, at FC Bayern München. Uh, Lo and behold, he's finally using the pen. Um, and he signed that extension, and I I really like to see that he he's come out and taken this bold step forward and basically put a veto on Hassan as the sporting director, and saying, look, you know, I know we've had this narrative of Leroy Sane uh, and Kai Havertz um, uh, and potentially even Timo Werner for what seems like <laughs> eons now. Uh, I think we've written probably fifty thousand stories on every single one of those three guys, but. He's basically said, look, you know, I want to have the power to make the decision that I want to make, whether you like it or not, or whether uh, Roman Niga agrees, Oliver Kahn agrees. You know, he he put his foot forward and said, this is what I want to do. This is how it's going to be. Um, and it's clear that the belief is there, the togetherness is there. His man management, uh, as Chuck had said, has really transcribed very, very well onto the pitch. I think it's 14 wins out of the first 15 matches. You just can't argue uh, with the statistics and the way and the brand of football that Bayern, uh, I want to say currently playing, but were playing before uh, this virus ended everything.
0: Now, I want to press both of you on this point. It was a great point that Tom had brought up his confidence and his, um, his ability to kind of put his foot down and step forward hasn't really gone over well, at least with Brazo. And we'll start with you, Tom, on this. Do we expect that this is possible that... Maybe Hansi is, does so well down the line that he pushes Brazo out of the picture at this board, or do you think that Brazo, having the backing of the other people of the board as he has so far? basically secures him in this job so much that it wouldn't go to what Jurgen Klinsmann has called the English model, where the manager is in charge of all of the transfers.
1: I don't think it would eventually push him out, uh, so to speak. I do think that Salihamidzic is someone who oftentimes gets a worse rap than what it's worth Uh, i don't think he does as bad of a job as some people uh make him out we have to remember he was one of the sole contributors and chief architects for getting alfonso davies um, to join Bayern munich and many of his uh i would say the arguments against him would say oh you know what else has he done besides that that's kind of his claim to fame uh, as sporting director um, and and being put onto the supervisory board but i guess i could go back to what i said about uh really Hansi Flick stamping the foot down and showing his level of confidence. Um, and I want to just touch base again on that transparency. I think that, that that's all it is. I think it's more of an understanding than it is uh, an argument uh, or a strife between the two. Um, and whether it's pressure he's also receiving from guys who are higher up than him uh, in Khan and Rummenigge, saying, look, you need to listen to Flick. Um, Because he's saying the right things, and what he wants now matters more than what you want. Um, I I think that there's more of a perception of that uh, in the media and with what the press put out more than it actually is, if that makes sense. I think that there's more of a collective sense of togetherness amongst that front office than people probably would realize, Uh, and I think that's a good thing. And when push comes to shove, I think that's going to help us make the right decisions, uh, whether it's Timo Werner, uh, Kai Havertz, Leroy Sané two of the three all three of them which would probably never happen whatever it may be uh when that next transfer window is and moving forward down the line
2: yeah I, I agree with Tom I think that I don't think there's going to be this this uh this conflict between Brazo and Hansi Flick I think they're going to actually complement each other and I, you know at the beginning of Brazo's tenure I think a lot of the Bayern not a lot but some portions of the Bayern Munich fan base kind of thought he was a clown a, a, in this role anyway and I think he's really proven himself that he can evaluate talent. But I think one of the things where Hansi Flick will contribute is there's going to be the chance and the opportunity for Flick to dictate who he wants and try and help Brazo see that and then go and get those players. I think that's a a main point where Brazo and Niko Kovac kind of failed. Niko Kovac had a certain brand of player that he needed. Uh, players that he wanted that Brazo didn't agree with and ultimately did not go out and get. And I think in the end that hurt Kovac because I think he wanted to play a certain style of ball that he could not do with the team that he had. And then he just simply couldn't adjust. I think now Flick will be able to work with Brazo. They'll they'll be able to cooperate, put together a plan, and get those players. Because everybody knows, I mean, Bayern has the bank, to, go, to basically go out and get whoever they want, especially German players. And I think that this now, this this collaboration that they have, is really going to make an impact, and I think we'll see that this summer if things hold together financially.
0: Yeah, to keep going on your point, like I think one of the things that kind of made me a little bit frustrated with Nico Kovac at times is not only that he – tried to play a specific way and then couldn't adjust. It's that he recognized that way too late. And then after recognizing that, he wasn't able to keep a strong line of communication with the players to really find out what was wrong. And after really seeing what Hansi has been able to do with opening lines up and communication, That's clearly what happened. You could clearly see night and day between performances in the Kovac era where they were good, not great, and the performances in the flick era that being able to communicate with the players and find out what they want to do and what they feel most comfortable doing has been phenomenal. And it's something that is great to see both as a player... And as a fan, right, you have a player, as a player's perspective, you're happy that your manager wants to hear your opinion and finally listen to you. And it just translates into results on the pitch, which we as fans absolutely love. Now, there was another incredibly big contract signing that just came out a couple of days ago. My favorite player of all time the Rahm Deuter, is staying in Bavaria, where he has been since 2008. Thomas Müller inked a contract also until 2023. And it really has come in line with this promotion of Hansi Flick to full-time manager with that long-term contract. And it doesn't really surprise me that that's the case, because I think for the first time in the last three or four years, One, Thomas Müller finally feels appreciated fully at the club that he's always loved and always called home. And number two, as a result of his feelings of appreciation, he has performed far better than what we've expected, I would say probably since the... Like last, like the year or two after winning the 2014 World Cup, I don't ever recall seeing a better Thomas Muller in those years since those two, right? Of course, under Carlo Ancelotti, he wasn't really feeling that well under Nico Kovac he was being passed over for Philippe Coutinho who's a great player in and of his own right but doesn't exactly fit with this Bayern system. Tom I'm going to start with you. What were your thoughts on this signing and do you think that it's going to pan out in the ways that we all hope?
1: My first thought would be why did it take so long because I think this is a player who absolutely deserved the contract extension well before it was actually made. Uh, do I think it's any coincidence that he was the first player after Hansi Flick uh, to have his contract renewed of the players that are up for renewal? Um, or I, sh- I should say having their contracts expire at the end of next season? No, I definitely don't think that um, it, it, it's any coincidence that it was him. I think it had to be him. Uh, just as you were mentioning, had had fallen out of favor with Nico Kovač, especially uh, the end of last season. The beginning of this season was relegated to a spot on the bench, and then almost within. I, I'm pretty sure, actually, even at Der Klassiker, or was it Olympiakos or Der Klassiker? The first two matches that Haunty Flick took charge, uh, two assists. Um, a couple of assists after in the match against Fortuna Dusseldorf. It was almost as if Flick being put in charge just completely lit the fire back underneath him, and he experienced quite the resurgence under Hansi Flick. Um, and I believe it was Yep Heinkus who described Thomas Muller's play as effervescence that he has on the pitch. I think not only when he's performing well, if it's not him, as his nickname uh, alludes to, the Rom- Romdeuter, He's creating that space for his teammates and making everyone else in the attacking third uh, that much more productive, namely uh, Robert Lewandowski up top. We've done several pieces on our on our website before about just how much more effective Lewandowski is when Thomas Muller uh, is on the pitch, and I think it's shown in the performances and the goals returned that Lewandowski has. It's unfortunate that this virus has, has hampered the season in the way it has because I think Lewandowski was on pace Uh, to perhaps equal or better Garrett Muller's 40-goal season record. Uh, and That's not an easy task to do. Muller had to be him, had to be the first player to get the contract renewal. Let's see if Moore follows suit. Um, Still surprised it took as long as it did, but nonetheless I'm very thrilled that he was the first player to have his contract extended just a few days after Hansi Flick
0: Now, one of the things that I kind of take a look at is that they've signed him up until 2023. And as much as I do love Thomas Muller as a player, that means he's under contract until he turns 34 years old. Chuck, looking at that age, looking at that number, do you think that there should be a little bit of a pause from Bayern Munich fans? assessing a little bit more of a risk that that move might be or do you think that it's just what the board needed to do in order to make sure that he stayed
2: there i think it was the perfect solution for both sides honestly moeller's style of play is not one that relies on speed it's not one that relies on power i'm not saying he's not fast or that he's not strong i mean certainly he's a world-class player so he's got those elements to his game But he is a player, like Tom said, who exploits space, who makes his teammates better, who finds ways on the pitch to make the team win. And that won't change over the next, what, three years? He's going to be a great player for Bayern. They've always been better when he's on the pitch. And I think what this allows Muller to do is ease his way out. He'll be able to mentor whoever is next in that role, and you know he'll do it graciously. But this still also gives him the next two to three years to be a major contributor, to be able to chase another Champions League title, and and to just show the world again what they've been missing the last three years under Ancelotti and Kovac. I mean, this guy has never stopped being a world-class player. It was kind of a joke that... He was always pushed down to the to the bottom of the pile and would have to fight his way back up every season. And he always did. And it's amazing that, you know, the guy gets so much hate in certain segments of the internet or Twitter, but he always battles back. And what can you argue about it? I mean, like you guys just said, Byron's just a better team when he's on the pitch. There's no argument against that. It's, it's ridiculous to even bring it up. So I'm ecstatic about it. I think it's a great move for both sides. And I think Mueller, by the end of this contract, I think he'll be ready to go and he'll know what's next, whether that means, you know, taking a, a backup role or maybe, you know, going overseas to the Philadelphia Union to hang out in Chester, PA with me. We could <laughs> maybe grab a beer or two, you know, you know, do some horse kicks, whatever he enjoys. But seriously, it's a great move. And I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled.
0: I'll take things that will not happen for 100, <laughs> Alex. Um, <laughs> No, I think, I think that's a great idea, and I completely agree, especially with the whole mentorship part. And I imagine that you, Chuck, have a couple of ideas as to who can go ahead and replace him in that number 10 role. But we will get to that a little bit later because while there were two contracts signed and they were huge, there are three players coming up who have been major contributors to this team before and nothing has really come out about them recently the first arguably the most important out of the three is what to do with Manuel Neuer now Neuer wants to be under contract for the next five years which means that he will be under contract until he turns 37 to 38 years old and as much as I love him I don't want to have another Gianluigi Buffon situation where we have a keeper signed going into his 40s. We have a lot of great talent in that goalkeeper position. We have a glo- we have a overbearance of talent in that position, right? We don't want to make sure that any of that atrophies and goes to waste, especially one like Alexander Nubel, who might be the future, especially somebody like Christian Fructel, who has been with this team and has been kind of touted as the heir apparent. Now, to that five-year point, Bayern have countered with three there have been talks about meeting in the middle at four years, so what I want to ask you guys, first of all, is what you think would be a good um, a good number of years, and whether or not you think one of the sides is being a little too optimistic, whether that's Neuer saying that five years is a little bit too much, or the club saying that it's not saying that their idea of three years is not nearly enough. Uh, Chuck, start with you.
2: Uh, it, to me, it's hard to argue against what Manuel Noir wants. Five years does seem like a lot, right? I mean, he is an older player now. So at the end of that contract, you would think physically he'll be a mess. He won't be as quick in between the sticks as he is right now. But, you know, as someone once said, the King stay the King until someone can supplant him as the starter. I'm okay with the five-year deal, honestly. And it's easy for me to say that it's not my money. But so, you know, let's just say he has three more great years and then that fourth year he starts to decline. Can you think of too many better backup goalkeepers than Manuel Neuer? And that's just assuming someone at that point can supplant him. From what we've seen from Alexander Nubel, I'm not even so sure in four to five years he'll be able to do that. So I'm okay with it. When we start to see... Neuer declined to the point where he does not look like himself. And I think a lot of us thought we saw that last year or maybe even the year before as he battled injuries, but right now he's been solid all season and I think he's really made the case. And again, it's not my money, but I'd happily spend it on a five year deal for him and just roll the dice to see what happens at worst. They already have Nuble, And if he's as good as he's supposed to be and, Again, I haven't seen that out of him yet. Then he'll be ready. But, you know, as of now, I'm okay with Neuer for five years.
1: I'm actually going to play devil's advocate and say I'm leaning a little bit more towards Byron's front office um, with the three-year term. I think we have a little bit of both parties uh, in a bit of a, or I should say a little bit of an integrity joust. There are so many moving parts to this. Uh, and the first question I would have is, you know, is it uh, Neuer himself? Pushing for the five years is it his representatives Uh, is it his agent you know a a lot of the contract talks uh, from an agent's perspective can go towards how much of a cut is said agent going to get with a certain deal you know so you wonder if it's coming from him himself his representatives a combination of the two Um, sometimes we'll never know Uh, we can read certain things and you know we can hear things coming out of his camp. We just don't know exactly who it is who's pushing for the five years. Um, but where, why? I'll side with with Bayern. Um, you, you know, especially with his injury history over the past two seasons with that metatarsal in uh, the same foot. Yes, there's a there's a gray area there. Uh, a huge question of did we rush him back uh, potentially? Um, putting re-injury at severe risk, and obviously we know that's exactly what happened, uh, and Sven Ulreich had to deputize most of the season that Jupp Heynckes came in uh, for his rescue act, so I think Bayern are looking at that, they're saying we've already signed Alexander Nubel from Schalke, uh, we've had a clause in his contract where we said he'll get at least 15 matches uh, in his uh, debut season for Bayern, Um whether there's wiggle room on that we don't know but obviously we all know that Manuel Neuer was not very happy to find that that was a clause in Nuble's contract for Bayern but so there's a little bit of that too they obviously expect him to play a certain part uh, for Bayern whether it's next season the season after that um, but again there's just so many moving parts to this you, you've you also had Sven Ulrich who said you know if I'm not sold I'm going to stay hunker down to do my best to be uh, the backup goalkeeper at Bayern Munich whether that's to Manuel Neuer or Alexander Nubel, I don't care. I'm going to do my job, put my head down, um, and, and do it to the best of my ability. So you have a very, uh, I don't want to say tense, but a very complex situation with, with three keepers who all kind of want to be either the starter or the backup. And then the, the other thing, too, as Chuck had alluded to, it's almost like clockwork. Neubel signed the contract for Bayern and then just really hit a rough patch of form for Schalke. And David Wagner even uh, relegated him to the bench on several occasions. I'm pretty sure even including um, the match at the Allianz Arena and in the DFB Pokal quarterfinals, if I recall correctly. Um, And he played Schubert instead. So there's just a lot of very, very complex moving parts to this. And I think it looks a little bit worse than it actually is. I think it's Bayern's front office, Neuer and his camp, kind of feeling one another out just to see... Uh, where they can compromise, find some middle ground. I don't know that that will happen. We'd like to just say, okay, we'll split it down the middle. We'll say four years. But um, obviously, it's not that cut and dry. It's not that easy. There's a lot of semantics, a lot of fine details that go into that. So, But I always say that the crest on the front of the shirt is way more important than the name and the number on the back. So I'm going to side with Bayern and say that a three-year extension gets made um and we'll see what happens
0: i kind of agree with both of you in some regard i agree with chuck that over the last couple of months that you can't really argue against the fact that manuel neuer has had a resurgence and has once again become one of the best goalkeepers in the world and who would want to argue against something like that but i kind of agree with tom at the exact same time because no matter how good Manuel Neuer has been this year and how good he may be for the next couple of years down the line, the aging question and the metatarsal question will always be hanging over his head as not an if but when scenario and that's kind of why I'm a little bit apprehensive about this and I agree like with the with the massive amount of talent behind us that we can't exactly rush into this scenario which is why I wouldn't be shocked to find out that Neuer doesn't sign a contract until June or July or maybe even August of this coming year because I think that this Bayern board really needs to take a long, hard look at their future scenario. And with Brazo and the board saying that they're not going to loan any of the goalkeepers out. I don't necessarily think that's going to be what they do in the long run. I think that may have been just a ploy to try to say, listen, if Neuer does end up leaving, we don't want to commit to trying to get rid of these players which kind of makes sense in my mind. Uh the next person we're going to go ahead and jump to now is Thiago Alcântara. He's been one of the best players in the world so far this year and while he hasn't really stood out on the goal sheet as we know football is a game of more than just goals and assists and saves it's a lot about passing and build up and there really hasn't been anybody that's been better at that in the year 2020 or even in this entire season than Thiago he's been really good when it comes to through balls and key passes. He's been an integral part of the system that Hansi Flick has put forth, and even when Nico Kovac was in charge, he was integral there as well. There have always been rumors, though, about him wanting to go back to Spain, about him wanting to go back to Barcelona. What I am wondering, because Bayern does have two things on its plate. One, they have some younger up-and-coming talent in ball distribution who may not be at the same level as Thiago right now, but they have the potential to get there. I'm specifically looking at Leon Goretzka and maybe even Mikel Cuisson if he does really well over these next couple of seasons. Maybe he goes out on loan and he gets some great time out there. Do you think that Tiago is somebody that the Byron board can pass up on and if so, do you think that they would be fine without him or they would need to bring somebody in? If you think that they do need to bring somebody in, who would you suggest? Tom, we'll start with you.
1: I definitely don't think Tiago is a player that Byron can pass up. I know that you and I, uh me in particular, have spoken quite extensively on this podcast about just how effective Thiago has been under Hansi Flick. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to Flick and Yashua Kimmich's preference to play Kimmich as that natural holding number 6 in midfield, deputizing Benjamin Pavar at the right-back position. Back when Niko Kovac was manager, there was always that discrepancy, where do I use Kimmich? You know, I want to continue using him at right-back, even though he himself has a preference to be playing in that central number 6 role. Um, And as I've always... Uh, ranted about and gone on about on this podcast having Kimmich in that natural six role has given Tiago all the freedom in the world to be the Tiago that we all know and love and that is getting forward more being able to have more freedom with his distribution because he's one of the best passers of the football in the game let alone on Byron's squad We've seen some of the spaces that he can create when he dribbles in the final third on his own. He's had some fantastic solo goals this season as a result of getting forward, having that freedom with Kimmich behind him. Um, and I just think that's one of the things that needs to continue. You know, elsewhere in the middle, uh, excuse me, elsewhere in the midfield, there's some question marks. Cuisance has hardly had a sniff. Uh, He has had some injury problems even when he plays with Bayern's reserves. He hasn't gotten many minutes there. Uh, Quarantan Tolisso seems quite unhappy with the amount of minutes he's getting. Pretty much seems to be a a bit part player and a squad player, predominantly a substitute at this point, uh, which I do feel bad for him. Uh, I've always been in the Tolisso camp, but obviously he's had uh, that cruciate ligament injury, which set him back significantly. Um, and it's just a shame because at one point he was our most ex- expensive transfer coming from Olympic Lyon uh, and Ligon, I think, for around 40 million euro a few summers ago. But um, it definitely looks like he's trying to go elsewhere uh, for what it's worth at the moment. Um, so I would love to see Thiago get, I mean, at this point, just as much of a as long of an extension as Bayern can get out of him just as you had mentioned you know a lot of those spanish players they do like to bring their careers full circle and end uh in spain or whatever it is they're they're actually from i guess i should have said latin american uh instead of just uh spanish but you know a lot of those players do like to do that whether it's uh, south america central america spain uh whatever it may be and you know you can't blame him for wanting to do that if that is what he wants to do and what his family wants to do but Um, I think Bayern need to do everything in their power to hold on to him for as long as they can because you can just think about the prospects moving forward, you know, whether it's next season, this season after that. If we still have him in the mix zinging passes to, oh, I don't know, Timo Werner, uh, perhaps even Kai Havertz in front or Leroy Sané, whoever it, it winds up being when that saga is finally over. You know, I just think that's just going to be um, something very savory and a sight to see with all the pace we have up front.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at the situation, I think it's a no-brainer to bring Tiago back. And, and I was always uh, one of the people that thought he would be leaving at the end of his current contract. I, I thought he would want to go back to Spain or even go play for Pep Guardiola again. But I, I mean, you, you really can't argue with his performance. You know, I think that he plays it an integral role on the squad, and and while I am a Leon Goretzka fan, I think that, uh, you know, the the performance that Tiago has had this season really made his case. But you know, that's a great problem to have to have Leon Goretzka, Tiago, and Joshua Kimmich as three players for two spots. I think that that gives Bayern some good effective depth. Uh, Cuisance might be on the outside looking in. But right now, I think, you know, the way things are setting up, if Taliso and Javi Martinez both leave, I think they have a pretty good uh, set of midfielders. And it's not the overabundance that we've seen in years past where there were midfielders having to sit in the stands that would be starters on, you know, most other top 10 teams in Europe. So it, it's a, it would be a great move to bring Tiago back. Uh, it would create a little bit of a headache, but it's one of those things that I think Hansi Flick can manage, and I think that's exactly why they hired Flick. He can handle these types of situations with his communication and how he manages the players.
0: Now, last player I want to talk about before we hit our break is David Alaba. Now, Alaba is a bit of a weird one because he has... Had a bit of a role change in the last couple of months, specifically along that left back position. With the injury to Luca Hernandez, there has been a need for a center back, and Alaba has filled that tremendously. At the same time, Alfonso Davies has come out as probably one of, if not the best young left back or Maybe even one of the best left backs, just period, in the world. It's going to be tough for Alaba to go ahead and slide back into that position. Now, what we have to consider is that a a backup center back is something that Bayern has kind of needed over these last couple of years, and there are two center backs on a field in the position in the formation that Bayern Munich enjoy playing. Right? What we're Kind of what I kind of want to ask about with you guys is that number one, one of them would have to be Nicolas Sula, right? And the second one is kind of a debate right now between a healthy Luca Hernandez and a healthy David Alaba. Add in the speculation about possibly going after somebody like Ibrahim Konate or Dayo Upamecano. And it kind of just begins asking yourself the question of whether or not Bayern necessarily need to sign David Alaba to a contract extension, right? Because you have Luca Hernandez, who is our club's most expensive transfer ever, who also has the ability to play at left back. So say if something terrible happens to Alfonso Davies, right? It's not necessarily certain that David Alaba will move back to left back over Luca Hernandez. So do you think that David Alaba is either necessary or uh, needed at center back, right? Or at left back. Do you think that he's somebody the team might have to end up passing up on? Because I doubt that he would accept a bench player or a rotation player role as well as somebody that gets brought in like an Upamakano. And I imagine that looking at this team, looking at the younger players that they have, I don't know if Alaba always gets a start, and I don't know if that's necessarily something that he can accept or something that he'd be comfortable with after years and years of being a starter. Uh, Chuck, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts along those lines?
2: Well, Jake, I need you to work with me and picture this now. I, I am a hundred percent on board with bringing Alaba back. And there, and there's a reason why when I, when I think about next season and I think of center back with David Alaba on the left side, and I think of, my left back being Alfonso Davies, you might think, well, that leaves out Luca Hernandez, right? He's only the club's record signing. But think about this. The amount of injuries they've sustained over the years, just collectively as a team, I think this is another area where Hansi Flick can make a great impact and find a way to use those three players in a rotation and keep them happy. And I think that gives Bayern a strategic advantage, especially late in the season, to have such fresh legs and have such good speed among those three players on the left side of your defense, it would be a huge advantage. And, and naturally, you might say, all right, well, that's great. That's an awesome left side of the defense. What about the right side? It gets a little more murky there, but because Bayern loves players who are versatile, you do have Benjamin Pavard, who is your right back, and he has convinced me absolutely he is the right back of the future. You have Nicholas Sula, who if he can come back, from his injury and play at the level that he was, he is a rock solid starter. And then you always have the option of dropping Joshua Kimmich back if there was another Sula injury or if you need to shift him to the left side for whatever reason. There is depth and versatility. So while it may seem that adding Alba to the mix of players who Bayern is seemingly already committed to might create a bit of a logjam, I think this is this would be a great move. And I think Flick could manage it in a way that would keep all of the players happy. And an important thing to remember is, and not a lot of people know this, Alaba is one of the veterans in the locker room who really does work with the young kids. When you talk to Alfonso Davies or you hear Chris Richards talk, Alaba is the mentor to those guys. It's not like they came in as a threat to him and he was, you know, put off by them and wouldn't help them. He did not give them the Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers treatment. He welcomed them. He accepted them, and that you really can't put a price on, especially at a club that preaches, you know, club over you know personality the way that Bayern Munich does.
0: So, Tom, like after we heard all of that convincing argument from Chuck, I kind of agree. I do like that, but again, a question that I would have is: after being a veteran, after being there so long, is he going to be able to willingly accept the possibility that he might not? play as often do you think that that's something that he'd be able to acquiesce to and be okay with
1: I think there's uh, been reports that said uh, Hansi Flick and Hasan Salihamidz have actually sat down and said look you know moving forward we want you David Alaba to continue to be the center back because I think they're very very pleased with all the work he's done and I'm looking at this thinking that Alaba in the contract negotiations if and when uh, they take place I'm sure that Discussions have already taken place. Um, he has all the power. I look at this back line. You know, a lot of people do forget it was Nico Kolbach who initially made uh, that switch at the back in that disaster match, uh, the final nail in the coffin, if you will, uh, the 5-1 loss at Eintracht Frankfurt, his uh, former club where it was Pavard at right back, um, Alaba, Boateng in the middle, and then Davies on the left. Obviously, that result bears no... Uh, way as far as how well that back four has worked in the main moving forward, but if I look across that that back four, I think uh, Davit Alaba is the glue. I think he's been the most consistent performer back there, especially considering that he's uh, naturally a left back and he spent most of his career playing left back. Uh, moving to center back is not an easy thing to do, uh, tactically, spatially, um, recognizing the spaces, when to drop back, when to go forward. Obviously wing backs spend a lot more time uh, advanced further up the pitch than center backs do. So there's a lot of discipline involved. As Chunk mentioned, uh, with Alaba being one of the veteran players in the squad, it was probably easier for him to make those adjustments uh, versus someone else. So going back to that back line, I see Pavard as a player who has met and slightly slightly exceeded expectations. Boateng has filled the holes when he needs to. I think uh, right now he plays with a lot of a chip on his shoulder because a lot of people have called for him to leave to be sold because he makes a lot of mistakes uh, and he's kind of on his way out if you will Alaba the glue uh, the veteran defender who's holding this back line together so well and then Alfonso Davies uh, the surprise package I think we all uh, were all behind the Fonzie hype but I think he's very very well uh, and truly exceeded all of our expectations um, and, and he's been absolutely phenomenal at the left back position Uh, And I also want to go back to something that that Chuck said, you know, putting all of the the puzzle pieces together, assuming that Alaba does stay, he gets at least uh, a two or three year contract extension. You know, you bring up Niklas Sula coming back from his cruciate ligament injury uh, and Luca Hernandez, the club's record signing at uh, approximately 80 million euro. You know, how do you fit all of these pieces into the puzzle, especially when everyone's. Fit uh, because you don't want to leave your Record signing on the bench But that's pretty much what's happened yes he's had His fair share of injury problems That have kept him on the sidelines but we need to figure Out what we're going to be doing moving forward because You have to assume once football Can be played again after this uh, COVID virus has at least Temporarily gone away uh, most of Our players are going to be fully fit and ready For uh, for match selection so there's uh, A luxury that Flick will have as far as uh, Depth and I think one thing that could happen is if one of those players gets injured, you could always switch to uh, three center backs and having Davies um, and even maybe Luka Hernandez uh, as wingbacks. I know I've said it before on this podcast, everything that Davies can do effectively on the left, I don't see any reason why he can't do it on the right. Uh, so you could have Hernandez as a left wing back because we know that he's pacey uh, when he's fully fit. Davies as a right wing back and maybe Alaba, Sula Pavard as the center back three. You know, that's always an option that he has, too, despite the fact that this back four has worked so well. With that, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come
0: back, we will be talking about other potential signings Byron might be making over the summer. Welcome back, and now we get into your questions you asked us using the hashtag AskBPW. Be sure to always send in any of the questions that you have regarding players, regarding transfers, regarding anything that you want. It doesn't even have to be Byron-related, because at this point, with what's going on, we'll take anything. We'll take anything. Um, So, yeah, Tommy, you were the one that asked these questions, so uh, go ahead and let her rip.
1: Yeah, it's been a while since we've done an Ask BBW uh, segment, but nonetheless, we'll get right into it. Uh, so this first question comes from at MRRF1. I don't know if that's supposed to be like Murph one But nonetheless, he asks, or she asks, who is your favorite Bayern under-17 player, or who are your favorite Bayern under-17 players? Tricky question we haven't got before. So I guess we'll go Jake and then Chuck.
0: Uh... In all fairness, we don't really know much about any Bayern under-17 players, so I don't know if any of us can really effectively answer that question.
2: I could give you a little bit, Jake. I can take a quick stab at telling you that Liam Morrison from Scotland is my personal favorite U-17 player, and only because I wrote an article about him last year when he made his transfer. He had a nice little bit of attitude to him, and he, uh, by all accounts, he's a tough and rugged player, so maybe he's a next-generation center back for Bayern.
0: I might be cheating by saying that Miroslav Kloza is my favorite player on this team, even though he's the manager, (laughs) but I will stand by that statement because I don't know many of the other
2: names on this team.
1: Now, Chuck, the real question is, do we like that kind of confidence and swagger, or is that something that we should frown upon?
2: Oh, I I think we got to like it from this kid. I mean, listen, he came from Scotland. I mean, he is... Didn't come from some, you know, soccer powerhouse. He's came over and he wanted this opportunity and he was happy to take it. And he was looking forward to it. I mean, this kid, it wasn't a long article, but it gave some good quotes. And I don't know, he won me over in that short amount of time I spent reading it and then rewriting it. So, yeah, I don't know. The kid's got a little something to him. I think maybe we have a chance to see him in the future.
0: Don't let Glasgow hear you when you say that Scotland is not a footballing powerhouse.
2: Well, uh, listen, we know the long and storied history of Scotland and, and football, but, you know, they're not exactly producing a lot of, of what I would say world class players in top five leagues right now. So that's probably a topic <laughs> Andrew Robertson. for a... Yeah, Probably a topic for another podcast, but I would say like this kid, I think has a good chance to make it, and I think he'll give all the Scots out there a reason to watch some German football.
1: <laughs> we will have to keep tabs on him. Nonetheless, we digress because there is a part two to MRRF one's question, um, and they just ask, "Will we really get Kai Havertz and Dial Macano in the next transfer window?"
0: Um. I think now that Thomas Müller has been signed, I think that it's going to be a lot harder to try and justify bringing in Kai Havertz. Especially, let's say that everything that we just discussed in our previous segment goes through and happens, right? Say you sign Tiago back. If you're Kai Havertz, are you going to go ahead and sign at a club where despite how talented you are, you're kind of behind a couple of other players. Like... If there is Timo Werner coming in, like, I could easily justify Timo Werner being able to jump right ahead and get into a starting position because he's a versatile player. He can play at multiple different positions. He can play on the wing. He can be a number nine if you really need him to, and he can be a number 10 and occupy that role that Thomas Müller has been playing for a while. But with Havertz, he's pretty much only solidified in that number 10 role and, Rarely has a lot of play on those wings, so I don't really justify that happening. Now, Upamakano is a completely different story. I think that Upamakano would fit the mold at Bayern Munich, but I don't know necessarily if another center back is somebody that we need. We'll take. I'll take him. If we could get Upamakano for under €35 million, Euro, I would be more than willing to jump on that price tag.
2: Yeah, I kind of, you know, I would stray away from Upamecano, although I, I do acknowledge he's a, a very good talent. I, I'm kind of falling in the camp of wanting to see either Chris Richards or Lars uh, Lucas Mai break through with Bayern. Uh, as for hot Havertz, I, I'm a huge fan. I don't think this is the year that Bayern needs to make that splash. I think the coronavirus actually helps in this situation. His contract does not expire until 2022. This gives another year for Bayern to sort out its finances. And honestly, it gives Leverkusen a year for Havertz to go out, show his talent once again, and maybe get his price back up to where it should be. Because I just don't think he's going to warrant any club spending nine figures in this transfer window, given the current financial climate.
0: The other thing I wanted to add before... Uh, You hop in there, uh, Tom, to kind of piggyback off of Chuck's point is I don't necessarily know if any club would be willing to go ahead and fork out a lot of money for him. I know that he has been linked with clubs like Borussia Dortmund and Real Madrid and Barcelona and Manchester United in the past, but I don't necessarily see any of them really desperate for somebody in that number 10 position, let alone being able to fork out the massive fee that Kai Havertz would demand. So I personally don't think that Bayern need to go out and get him for fear that he would go to somewhere else. And I don't necessarily think that another year at Leverkusen is the worst for him.
1: Yeah, just just to kind of finalize the thoughts too, Chuck. I think you had written the piece the other day, um, speaking about Hansi Flick and Hasan um agreeing to bring either Timo Werner or Leroy Sané uh, to Bayern as one of the main signings whenever this next transfer window takes place. And I think that does kind of effectively put uh, Havertz out of the question at least for this summer. I know those were the big three players that have been linked with us for what seems like ages now. But the coronavirus is obviously uh, raising a lot of question marks as to what the landscape of the next transfer market is going to look like. Um, And I think it's clear at this point, especially now that Hansi Flick has put pen to paper, uh, we have a long-term plan for the future in place as far as the front office and the coaching staff is concerned. Um, I It's going to be either one of... Uh, Timo Werner or Leroy Sane as that attacking player. And I think that everything we had talked about earlier with uh, David Alaba, uh, especially when uh, Luca Hernandez and Nicolas Sula are fully fit and back in the fray, um, I think that going in the market for uh, another center back at the moment uh, might be uh, a bit premature, especially if Alaba does wind up getting a contract extension, whether it's for one year, two years, three years, whatever it may be. So while Eiffel McConnell is a top-class center back, I think that's uh, not something that's on the top of our priority list at the moment. So without further ado, we'll shift into the second question uh, that we're going to do here for Ask BPW, and it's from at Eden Jackson, Eden. So nice, he had to say it twice. And they ask, Is there any truth to the rumor that Bayern is interested in signing Jonathan David um, Canadian international and he plays for uh, KAA Ghent uh, in Belgium
2: I'll take that one first Tom uh, yeah I, I don't know that it's a that David would be a, a signing that Bayern needs to make this summer but I think it would all depend on what happens with Timo Werner or Leroy Sané and that probably goes for just about any signing uh, other than those two that Byron would potentially make. Uh, I think David is a, he's a nice prospect. I think he actually has a lot of great potential. But again, I'll, I'm forced at looking at what Byron has in-house now with Lewandowski, uh, with Xerxes, and with my boy, the ARP train there. So I like their young strikers. I like their number nines and, and where Byron is at as an organization. I think it's kind of redundant. I'm sure David could probably slot out to a wing position as well, but then that would just confuse the hell out of me to have David and Davies together. I would be all over the place. So I'm more comfortable letting him slide by and that being a transfer that, that Bayern does not partake in. Jake?
0: I don't necessarily know if Jonathan David is somebody that we necessarily need at the club. Of course, we would always go ahead and... Love to take a uh, pacey winger and Jonathan David definitely is that, but I think that he kind of needs to prove himself at a slightly larger club than Ghent. Now I know that's a bit of a double standard talking about how Alfonso Davies is uh, is really really good, but he started out in Vancouver. Uh, though it's I I don't know. I just I personally think that David needs a little bit more time. But I, I think if you started him out at another club and then saw what he had later on, then I think that it would definitely be something that uh, Byron
2: should look into. Yeah, it's just overkill at this point, right? Like how many young strikers do you need? <laughs> it's just where, where are they all going to play? It's. I, I think they can just pass on David for now, and if he proves himself somewhere else and has great success, by all means, then they can make a purchase.
1: Yes, just as both of you had just alluded to, I apologize. I should have added the context uh, initially attached to the question. The reports did stem from a Dortmund-based newspaper uh, Rehrnacht Richten which, select, which uh, suggested that Bayern uh, Borussia Dortmund, Outer Bay Leipzig and Arsenal were all keeping tabs uh, on David so just as the two of you had mentioned uh, both Dortmund and Leipzig have a fantastic history of developing younger talent so it might be uh, a lot more beneficial for him to go to one of those two destinations as much as we don't want uh, our rivals to be beefed up but uh, again there's just not a lot of room in Bayern's squad at the moment Uh, for him as much as the uh the headlines would read well as the you know in us developing yet another uh canadian superstar but hopefully he uh he goes somewhere else makes a name for himself and then we can uh circle back to keeping tabs on him the last question we're going to look at for ask bpw comes from at you play a what uh from josh bishop um And he asks, at what point will Bayern Munich media and fans normalize Benjamin Pavard as our starting right back of the future?
0: I'll take that one first. I don't really... I really don't think that Pavard is the right back of the future at Bayern because there are a lot of things that he needs to develop and understand before we can really go ahead and give him that title. He's shown a lot of defensive weaknesses at the back line, not only just as a right back, but as a center back as well. Uh, I don't think that he's bad per se, but for right now, I think he's passable. On a fully healthy Bayern Munich team, I don't know if he would get... A pass and now here's my basic question that I would like to ask in this scenario let's take another right back right let's hypothetically take another right back let's call it Ashraf Hakimi or Lukas Klosterman if you look at the two of them they do very well playing the exact same role that Joshua Kimmich did while he was at right back right pushing up the wing etc etc. Being able to shut down defenders, being able to shut down wingers, right? Do you see that similar capability in Benjamin Pavard? That's my question. I personally don't. I think that he works for what Byron is playing at right now, but I just don't see myself giving him that edge against any other player that is currently there. I think that he has a great opportunity to fill in at center back if there are any injuries or play that right back position a little bit more consistently as of right now. I don't know if that'll happen further on if Byron has that opportunity to go out and get reinforcements.
2: Yeah, see, I think I I fall more in line with I'm getting close to making that commitment to Pavard. I was really disappointed at the way he played as a center back, both at Stuttgart last season and at the beginning of this season. I thought he really struggled defensively, like you said, Jake. And and I was always of the belief that Kimmich should stay at right back because he I thought he was the best right back in the world when he was on top of his game. But that ship has sailed. He's not moving back. And I think Pavard has done a nice job. I like that he's been a steady presence on the back line. I like his versatility. Does that mean that I would necessarily commit to him as the, you know, a foundational piece for Bayern over the next five, six, seven years? Not quite yet. But I do think he's trending the right way. I like that he's been able to push a little further up the field. And while he's not the same type of weapon that a Clusterman or a Hakimi or even a Kimmich is, I think he brings a lot to the table on that. His game is evolving, and I think he will get there. I need to see a little bit more, but as of now, I think he's headed in the right direction. And, and I'm very comfortable with him as a right back at this stage.
1: Yeah, I think personally a lot of his uh, shortcomings in the beginning of this season was just growing pains, you know, as, as Chuck had mentioned, um, was very inconsistent, or I shouldn't say very, but oftentimes inconsistent playing at the center back position, uh, with Stuttgart and came into a completely different system. And we have to remember, he's already, uh, played for two different managers and that's, that's never easy for someone who just comes in. I know that we can look at a lot of players that that happened to, who were signed by Carlo Ancelotti and we all know what happened with that. Um, and so again, I, I just think it's more a matter of, Who else would play there? Kimmich and uh, Hansi Flick have made it clear that they plan on using him in that number six role uh, moving forward, regardless of what else happens uh, in the midfield. And so I think Pavard, as it stands, is one of the only players who can consistently uh, play that position, I think... Uh, Odriozola was was purchased on loan more as a, a fill-in and I think that's exactly the role that we've been using him in I don't really think he has a long-term future uh, at Bayern Munich and and I don't think that anyone else uh, is under that assumption either so you know I have no doubts that Pavard is going to be the the right back moving forward you know unless something else uh, significant happens uh, in the squad whether it's an injury a, a transfer or you know, uh, a Hansi Flick curveball, but um, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, so we will see. Um, And those are all the questions that we were going to look at for Ask BPW. I know it's been a while since we've uh, visited that segment, but hopefully we we get some more questions and we can uh, include a segment in the next episode that we can record. Thank you for the questions, guys.
0: Though, hold on, I will say I did see one other question underneath one of the – one of the posts that we sent out that I think is warranting a closer look. It is from at Jess House of Trobe uh, What is your favorite German beer?
1: Oh, that is a really good question. I'm glad that you brought it up because I did not see it. Um, and I always constantly battle uh, between the two. Um, and the reason I tear it too is just because it's two different styles of beer. Um so one would be Polaner's Oktoberfest Weizen. It's one of my favorite beers. Every time I have it, it just reminds me of Oktoberfest, obviously, but not just the festival itself, but of the, the German culture of Bayern Munich. Uh, it just reminds me of everything, everything simple, and it's one of those, those beers that's only made uh, seasonally. It's only made for the Oktoberfest season, uh, so it's something that you do have to wait for, which makes it all the more important to enjoy when you do have it. Um going to the other end of the spectrum, I know that a lot of people uh who follow us and who follow Bar- Bayern Munich are big Weiss beer fans and the the first and best Weiss beer I ever tried was Wienstefane. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Uh they're one of the oldest breweries in the world. I think they've been brewing since year ten fifty four or something like that. Um it's just one of the best Weiss beers I've ever had. It was actually one of the first German beers I ever had um, off of a recommendation recommendation from my boss who's from Hanover. Um, he said, it's one of the big brands that you can find here in the States. Obviously not quite the same that you'd get over in Germany, but nonetheless, wienstefaner's Hefeweizen and uh Palahner Oktoberfest Weizen, two of my favorite beers ever, let alone German.
2: Yeah, I would go actually with Tom's, uh, Paulaner Oktoberfest. Uh, it's funny because my favorite beer is actually a Belgian beer, uh, Blanche de Bruxelles, which is brewed by Le Fay Brewing Company. It's uh, affectionately known as Mannequin Piss if you go to certain bars. So it's a uh, it's a great beer. It reminds me a lot of German beers. But back to the, the question at hand, uh, I, I would side with Tom. And I haven't uh, sampled a ton of German beers, which is probably to my detriment. But uh, of the probably dozen or so that I've tried, that's been my favorite.
0: It's really funny because that question kind of forced me to think back about the first German beer I ever tried. It was a Paulaner Salvatore, which is a Doppelbach. It's a very, very dark beer. It tastes like coffee and chocolate, and it was absolutely beautiful. If we're talking Oktoberfests, I will have to side with all of you and say Paulaner because out of the bottle... uh. Spottens Fest is way too carbonated, and I kind of dislike that. Uh, I find Pollanders to be a lot richer and a lot better. If we're talking, like, everyday German beer, uh, back in Syracuse, there's a um, beer garden called Wolf's Beer Garden, and Whenever I would go down there for games, I would always, always, always order myself a Francis Conner Weissbeer. Uh, for some reason, that was probably one of the first beers that I fell in love with. Uh, so I will have to say that my favorite uh, everyday German beer is Francis Conner. And that, I think I first heard about that one from our boss, John Dylan, talking about how much he enjoys that. So, uh, shout out to John. Greatly appreciate that recommendation. So we've come to the end of this episode. And one of the things that I just wanted to say before we end, was something I alluded to at the beginning. This is our one year anniversary episode. Now, For everyone that's been listening to us since the beginning, you know that a lot of changes have happened, both uh, in personnel and in uh, how we present this show, Uh, whether that means we're finally understanding pronunciations of German words, uh, whether that means we adapted our content, whether that means we split off our content into different things. And over the year, it's... Gotten to be a lot bigger than I honestly ever thought that it could have. And one of the things that I had alluded to back in October when I wrote the post when we hit 50,000 subscribers or 50,000 downloads was that that was the goal I had set for myself for one total year. And now here we are, it's been one year. And we kind of got derailed in the middle of the coronavirus. But things currently stand where we have 95,000 downloads. I fully believe that had this not happened, we probably would have been able to eclipse 100,000 at this point. We don't hit 95,000 in the midst of all of this if it isn't for you guys out there. We were at about 90 at the midpoint of February, right? And from that moment on, the world started to change dramatically. And the 5,000 downloads that we had gotten since then with the limited content that we had put out just kind of proves to me that we have a dedicated following around the world that really enjoy what we produce, and so, what I want to say to everybody, first off, is thank you for listening. Thank you for your feedback. Thank you for the time and effort that you've given to us. We greatly appreciate it. And let us know how we can change to make it better for you, because this is a fan blog, and as a fan blog, we we are, we are slaves to those that we serve. We serve the fans more than anything else. Uh, and what you guys have done for us is you've grown us to be one of the five biggest English language Bundesliga podcasts in the world. If you look online and you just look up German soccer podcasts, we're usually in the top five, along with uh, such great podcasts as uh, Raphael Honigstein's Stylecast that he just recently started with The Athletic, whether we're talking the Yellow Wall podcast, uh, whether we're talking many other different producers and people that I forgot to mention in the last 20 seconds, um, None of that happens without you guys. None of that happens without the, uh, the love and the care and the attention that you have put into this. And I know that this is a rough time, and I know that German soccer is going to start up very soon. And when that does happen, we will be bringing you that coverage back and better than ever. But in the meantime we're here for you guys. We're here to make sure that we can give you the best possible content that we can. And if it's something that helps your day throughout all of this, whether you're a medical worker listening to us while you work, whether you are a teacher at home, like my mother, like Chuck's wife who are thrust into the middle of something uncertain in their jobs with their students Or whether you're somebody who is either working from home or is stuck at home without work. We are here for you guys. We are here to make your lives better. And the only way that we know how to do that is by talking German soccer. So thank you for everything that you have done for us, for helping this grow. It's been an amazing year. This has been one of the best things that I've ever done with not only this podcast, but... In media as a whole, it's provided me such amazing opportunities. It's allowed me to talk to some amazing people, and then share those conversations with all of you guys. So, again, I can't thank you enough. And I hope that everybody out there is doing okay, and that we will all get through this. So, stay safe. Please follow us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks at Jefferson Fenner at the Barrel Blog for Chuck, and at Tommy Adams 71 Read our content every day at BavarianFootballWorks.com. And when we all get back together to talk more news or to talk German soccer, we will see you later. Stay safe. Keep your social distance. Stay at home. Wash your hands. Be good to each other. Auf Wiedersehen.